Well, good morning, Church 214. How are we doing? Good. I, I love weeks where I can, I can basically just like, I never didn't even really have to prepare a message. We could just keep worshiping and we could go home and it'd be fine. <laughs> so, but I'm super excited to be bringing the word uh, to you this morning. We're going to continue on our series, Sleeper Cell, and Chris kicked us off two weeks ago and he preached an awesome message. And one of the things that he did was he challenged us to, to not live in a defensive position, but to attack the darkness and to fight with whatever weapon that God has placed in our hands. And God has placed a weapon in your hands. He has given all of us a weapon, but you need to fight with it. And then Heidi followed up last week, and one of my favorite things that she said was that as Christians, our singular mission, apart from glorifying God, is to introduce lost souls to Jesus. And I think that that is so poignant. So as I was preparing for uh, my message this week, I felt like Uh, the Lord led me to speak about our identity and waking up to our identity in Christ. And so that's going to be our destination this morning. And so if there's one thing that I want you to walk away with today, it's this. Remember your true identity. Remember your true identity. There's actually going to be a couple opportunities throughout this message where I'm going to want you to say that back to me. So let's practice. All right. Remember your true identity. That's not too bad. Let's do it again. Remember your true identity. Okay. I'm going to expect a little bit more out of you when it's actually game time, but we're going to pray and get started. Father, thank you for your gift of worship and music. God, you're so worthy of our praise. So Father, I ask now that you would stir in us an understanding of what it means to have our identity in you. And God, I pray that through that understanding that that would begin to change the way that we live our lives, the way that we see you, the way that we see other people, and the way that we serve you and serve your church and build the kingdom. So God, now I ask that you would just send your spirit on this place. God, that we would, that our hearts would be open to you. And I pray that you would take this broken man and these broken words and that you would bear fruit. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're continuing our series in the sleeper in, uh, series Sleeper Cell. And I love this concept of the sleeper cell, and we've uh, kind of talked about it for the past couple of weeks, what that means. Uh, and I, I'm a big fan of espionage-type movies, you know, Jason Bourne, 007, you know, the real Jason Bourne, like Matt Damon, Jason Bourne, not, not, not Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner, Jason Bourne's fine, but Matt Damon, Jason Bourne. Anyway, and then basically all of these... Uh, Espionage-type movies, there's the sleeper agent. And it's normally some, normally some guy who's just like an average Joe, and he's normally living in some rundown apartment or long-term hotel room with nothing but a bed, a toilet, and some sort of supercomputer that magically can access every government file ever in existence at the speed of light. Yeah. It happens. And they normally have scenes depicting this sleeper agent living out their innocuous, mundane life, Maybe they're frequenting their daily cafe or bar, or they're going to pick up a package at the post office. Or maybe they're running alongside a beach or, or going through a run through some, through some picturesque suburban neighborhood. Until one day they get a call on a burner phone. They pick up the call, listen for five seconds, end the call without saying a word, and immediately they run back to this you know, rundown apartment or hotel room, and they open up their supercomputer, and they get all the mission-specific information, And after they have everything they need, they erase every trace of the previous life that they have been living for weeks, months, years, who knows. 
And after every trace of their previous life has been erased, they reach behind the couch and they pull out a frighteningly large arsenal. (laughs) And, And they pull a briefcase out from under the bed that's normally filled with a whole lot of cash and some fake passports. Or they might be real passports, I don't know, but there's lots of them. You see, their true identity has been awakened. They're no longer asleep. They're not a sleeper agent anymore. They're an active agent. And you can see it in their eyes. There's a focused calm. They have a singular goal. And everything that they do, every step they take, every decision that they make is done through the lens of their newly awakened identity, their true identity. See, he is no longer asleep, but he is activated. Now, in Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to the church in Sardis. And in verse 1 through 2, he says this, Now you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains. See, Jesus is calling to his church to wake up from their sleep and to get back into the fight where they belong. To start living out their real identity as sons and daughters of the king, as warriors of the kingdom. Now, while I was preparing this message, I feel like God gave me this concept that that the concept of sleep goes far beyond simple inactivity. See, with modern science and medicine, we know so much more about sleep than we used to. And whenever God gives me these correlations between my two favorite subjects, biology and the Bible, my nerd level just goes through the roof and I get real excited. So if biology is not your thing and it kind of stirs up some anxiety in you from freshman year in high school or something, I am not sorry for the next couple minutes. Okay, this is my soapbox. Maybe, the, maybe you should get over your anxiety and start to realize the miracles that God has placed inside of you that are going on every day. That's my soapbox, okay? Off of that. So I'll get excited for the rest of us. So sleep. Most people know that there are different stages to sleep, okay? Most broadly, there is non-REM sleep and REM sleep, okay? Not too difficult. Now, I don't want to get into too many details so I don't lose all of you. I'll probably just lose most of you. But... Non-REM sleep is subdivided into three different categories, and those categories are mostly distinguished by the type of brain waves or brain activity that are inside of each of them, okay? The brain waves that are present or not present distinguish each stage from each other, and so normally as you fall asleep, you uh, progress sequentially through the stages of non-REM sleep, okay? And as you begin to fall into deeper and deeper levels of sleep, your brain waves and your brain activity starts to slow down. And as your brain waves slow down, your brain begins to release two neurotransmitters into your motor cortex. Now, you'll see a picture. The motor cortex is this part of your brain that is responsible for telling all of your muscles what to do. So the motor cortex receives signals from other parts of your brain, processes those signals, and then sends them out to the rest of your body to to tell your muscles what to do. Okay? And so, like I said, the brain releases two neurotransmitters into the, neuro, into the motor cortex. And what neurotransmitters are is that they are chemicals that the cells in your brain use to communicate with each other, to send signals back and forth. And these two neurotransmitters that are released during sleep are called glycine and gamma-aminobutyric acid, or GABA for short. You can just say GABA because it's much easier. And what these two neurotransmitters do is they stop all synaptic potentials or signals from leaving the motor cortex. So the motor cortex is still getting signals from the rest of the brain, but nothing is getting out. And so as you progress sequentially through these deeper levels of sleep, the, the concentration of glycine and GABA begin to build inside your motor cortex. And basically what this does is this causes an induced paralysis. 
Your brain is getting signals, but nothing is getting out. And as this paralysis, paralysis sets in, your brain switches to REM sleep. Okay? Now, most people know that REM sleep is the type of sleep where, you're, where you dream. What you may not know is that the brain waves that are present in REM sleep are almost indistinguishable from a conscious mind. Your brain waves when you're asleep are almost indistinguishable from a, from, from a conscious mind, from somebody that's awake. And so your brain thinks that it's conscious, it acts like it's conscious, but your body is paralyzed. You have dreams, but your body is unable to act them out. Now, when it comes to the dreams that we have at night or when we're taking a nap, this is normally a good thing, <laughs> okay? My wife is pregnant, and she is having some crazy dreams. I'm pretty sure that there would be some people in this world that would be no longer living, and our baby would be a turtle. Those, 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 those are just a couple. Crazy dreams. So it's a good thing that we normally don't act out our dreams, but let's think about this from a spiritual perspective. What dreams has God placed in your life, but you are unable to carry them out because you're paralyzed? What calling has God given you, but you can't step into that calling because you're paralyzed? Or maybe this, what identity has God given you, but there is something going on inside your spiritual motor cortex that is stopping you from living out that identity? Maybe God's calling you to serve regularly at a homeless shelter or a food pantry just to be Jesus to somebody and, and to, to, provide, to provide somebody a meal that's desperately hungry and that needs to know that Jesus loves them. Or maybe you've been called to start a business and you want to glorify God through that business, but you're paralyzed to move forward. Or maybe God has been softly whispering to you that you need to go overseas to an underserved part of the globe and witness to people there, but you're paralyzed. You can't take a step forward in faith. Or maybe God's given you the gift of music and you want to sing or, or play an instrument and you, you kind of know where you want to go, but you don't know how to get there and so you're paralyzed. Or maybe there's a direction or a dream in your head of where you want your family to be. Of where you want your, your marriage to be or the relationship with your wife or the relationship with your kids and you know that God is calling you to more, but it's comfortable right now. It's the way that it's always been, and you're paralyzed. You can't step forward into God's calling. See, but God's call for his church is not to stay asleep, but it's to wake up. It's to move. It's to start charging the gates of hell and taking ground. It's to start serving your city one step of obedience at a time, one act of love at a time. But you can't move if you're asleep. You can't fight if you're paralyzed. And so what paralyzes you? What is stopping you from waking up to your true identity, your identity in Christ? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover what I believe are the top three things that paralyze us as Christians. So if you're taking notes, this is points one, two, and three. Real easy. Number one, familiarity. Number two, the fear of failure. Number three, the fear of man. And at one point or another, I have fallen into and still struggle with all three of these. So chances are that these also apply to you too. So let's lean into God's word together and let's see if we can get some freedom from this paralysis. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Awesome. Okay, number one, does familiarity paralyze you? 
Always looking for the status quo, just doing what you've always done because it's worked so far. I've been in church my whole life. I know all the answers. I know all the lingo. But I'm comfortable in this space right here. I'm good where I'm at. The problem with this point of view is that the Christian life is anything but stagnant. Stagnant things start to stink. Now, there's something to be said for being steady, absolutely, but never stagnant. You see, when things are familiar, they don't excite us. They don't stir up this wonder and curiosity of what it means to live a life surrendered to Jesus and our identity in him. They don't move us to action. Now, Jesus' hometown of Nazareth was asleep to who he really was. Because they were so familiar with who they thought he was, they were unable to see him and follow him for who he really was. Okay, so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 4. A little bit of context here. In in chapter 3 and in the beginning verses of of chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, And he's been sent into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted and to fast for 40 days. And so after coming out of that 40 days, he first heads to Galilee. And Luke says uh, that when he got to Galilee, he was teaching in the synagogues and all of the people glorified him. They loved him in Galilee. And then starting in verse 16, we read this. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now, this is Jesus's hometown. Back in Jesus's day, it's a small town of maybe 400 people. So everybody knew everybody. I grew up in a town of 2,000 people, and everybody still knew everybody. Okay, so everybody knows who Jesus is. They know his history. They know his parents. They know his brothers and sisters. They know him. They think they know him. And continuing on, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. That's good stuff. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus is in his hometown where everybody knows him, and he's claiming to be the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. And this is actually a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. And he's like, this is me. And so what I want to do is I want to go to Mark 6, which is the parallel of the story in Mark, and go to Mark 6, verses 2 through 3, because I want you to see the people's reaction to this claim of who Jesus says that he is. And this is the people's reaction. They say, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom was given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And the story actually goes on to say that the people tried to throw him off of a cliff because they were so ticked at who he was claiming to be. You see, they were so familiar with who they thought Jesus was that they were unable to believe Jesus' real identity. They were paralyzed from following him for who he was. So how does familiarity paralyze you? Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've just settled settled into going through the motions. It's familiar, it's easy, but it's not transforming you. Or maybe you're paralyzed from witnessing to people because of the familiarity of your testimony. 
You think that there's nothing about your conversion to God that would draw somebody to himself, so it's just wasted breath. Nobody would be compelled by your conversion to Jesus. Or maybe you're familiar with your lifestyle. You're comfortable. You've got a good thing going, and breaking from that pattern would be uncomfortable and inconvenient, and so you stay stuck in your ways, paralyzed from stepping out in faith and from what God has to you for you to do. And so how do we combat familiarity? What's the one thing that I told you to remember? Right, remember your true identity. Say it. There we go. Remember, try it again. Remember your true identity. So the way this is going to go is I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to point to you, and then that's when you say it. So remember your true identity. There we go. That was a good one. Okay. You got two more chances, so don't blow it. Remember your true identity. Wake up to the wonder and the majesty and the mystery of your identity in Christ. Your true identity. You see, this is an identity that says you are no longer dead, but you are alive. You are not lost, but you are found. You are no longer a slave. You are free. You are not worthless. You bear the image of your eternal creator and savior. You are not a citizen of this earth. You are a citizen of heaven. You are not a nobody. You are a child of the most high God. You are an heir to the throne of heaven. You are not powerless, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have access to infinite power. You are not alone. You are adopted into the family of God. Your destiny is not death, but eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. You see, if we would wake up to who we really are, then we would realize that we are anything but familiar, but our identity is glorious. It is not familiar. If we would not be paralyzed by familiarity, then we would start to move, to live out the calling that has been given to us as a son or a daughter of the king. As a great example of this, I want to give a shout out to Michaela Crowey. So Michaela, if you're listening over in France on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever this podcast goes up onto the internet, I'm so proud of you for, for living out your identity in Christ. You see, Heidi mentioned this last week, but Michaela uh, used to go to our church and uh, she left her family a couple months ago, her amazing family. She left her friends and her job. She left her church that she loved so well and she moved to France to take care of missionary kids whose parents are learning French so that they can go and, and serve and, and witness to people that desperately need the gospel. That's a great example of not being paralyzed by familiarity, but to go where God calls you, to live out your identity in Christ. And so, Michaela, I'm proud of you. All right, number two. Another thing that paralyzes us is the fear of failure. Has anyone ever been afraid to fail? This is also more participation. All right, basically daily, <laughs> okay? Afraid to fail in your job, in your finances, in your marriage, in parenting your kids. Do you fear, fa fear, fear failure? Turn to Luke 19, verse 20. In this passage, Jesus is telling a parable about uh, a rich ruler who was leaving for another kingdom but before he left, he gathered 10 men to himself and, and he gave each man, each man a mina, which is the equivalent to about three months' wages. So that, that's quite a bit of money. That's a good chunk. And he told them, I want you to take this money, invest it, do business, grow what I've given you. 
And so then the man left, and when he came back, he called all those 10 men back to himself so that they could give an account of what he had done with their gift. And so one by one, they all give an account, and then we come to verse 20, and it says this, And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid. You see, the fear of failing had paralyzed this man from doing anything with the money. He just hid it. And later the ruler says, bro, if you had even been thinking a little bit, you have at least would have put it in the bank and let it collect some interest. But this man was so paralyzed by fear that he didn't even think to put it in the bank. Because of his fear, he hid his gifts. See, God has given us all different gifts and blessings, both physical and spiritual. And this parable is not what you do with your money, but it's about what you do with your time and with the gifts that God has given you. And there will come a day when you stand in front of your Savior and you will give an account for the gifts that he has given you. How you grew them and how you used them. But if you are paralyzed by the fear of failure, then you will not do anything with your gifts. You will hide them. They'll become buried deep, stagnant, producing no fruit and no growth. And this is exactly what Satan wants you to do. So how do we combat this fear of failure? Remember your true identity. Amen. So your true identity in Christ is victorious. Your identity in Christ is victorious. Now, does this mean that you will never fail? Absolutely not. We are broken people and we live in a very fallen world. But because of your identity in Christ, you are eternally victorious. And I've said this many times from this pulpit and I will continue to say it. If you are a Christian, God will use everything in your life for his glory and for your good. Everything, including your failures. He uses everything for your good and for his glory. So what does this mean? This means that as a child of God, you can mess up and you can fail, but in the end, God will be glorified and it will be for your benefit. It will be for your sanctification. So this means that as Christians... This gives us the freedom to fail and still win. That sounds like a great program to me. But I need to be clear, this does not mean that you can enter situations or jobs or relationships or opportunities for, merit or opportunities for witness just coming in guns blazing with no discernment or wisdom about what is happening. It does not mean that you can continue to live in your sin with no progression towards holiness and never using your gifts. What it does mean is that you can tell that person about Jesus even if you don't do it perfectly. See, because your failure to perfectly articulate the love of God for someone will not determine their eternal destination. If God wants somebody to be in his family, he's going to make it happen, not you. He does not want your perfection. He wants you to strive for that, but your perfection is not a requirement for God to use you, your obedience is. Maybe you need to hear that again. Your perfection is not a requirement for God to use you, your obedience is. 
Maybe God has called you, as I know is the case for some of you here, to start a business. And I want you to hear my heart in this. You're not going to start your business at the perfect time. You're not going to run your business perfectly. And from worldly standards, your business may even be failing. But if you start your business in obedience to God, if you conduct your business in obedience to God and to glorify Him, and if the interactions that you have with other people point them to Jesus because of your integrity and your character, and if you honor God with the revenues of your business that He blesses you with, then no matter what worldly standards tell you, you are never a failure. In Christ, you are victorious because as a child of God, in Jesus, you are victorious and God will use your obedience to bring people to himself. He will use your obedience to glorify him, to bring him glory and to further your sanctification. And that's a win every time. You see, Satan is trying to paralyze you with the fear of failure and to make you completely ineffective for the kingdom. But all God wants from you is your obedience and your trust that through him, you are victorious. Remember your true identity in Christ. You are victorious. Lastly, what paralyzes us is the fear of man. And I think this may be one of the most universal and pervasive in the church. I know it's one that I've struggled with. What will this person think of me if I, if I say this or if I believe that? Or if I do this thing, or if I pray during lunch around my, my coworkers, they'll think I'm just some crazy Christian. If they, if they knew what I, what I really believe, then they'll probably think that I'm judging them or that I don't care about them or love them. And so they'll lose all respect for me, and then my witness is gone, and so I might as well just stay silent. It's just wasted breath. That's the fear of man. So how do we combat the fear of man? By remembering our true identity, right? Remember your true identity. Wake up to our identity in Christ. Now the inspiration for this series came out of Isaiah 52, 1, where it says, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. But the, the calling of Jesus on his church actually starts in chapter 51, the chapter before. So that's where I want to go. So turn to Isaiah chapter 51. Verse 7. So this is God speaking to Israel, to his people, through the prophet Isaiah. So God says this, Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. You see, this is God's call to his people, the people that have taken his instruction to heart, that know what is right. And he says, Hear me. Wake up. He wants them to pay attention to wake up, to their true identity. He's saying you're, you're hearing this thing from the world. You expected to believe that thing or do this thing. But hear me. This is true reality. And he continues on in verse 7. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. And I love the way that the NIV says this. It says, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals. See, I believe what God is trying to say to his people here is he is trying to call them to believe and live out their, their identity as an eternal son or an eternal daughter of the king. 
So as an eternal son or an eternal daughter, what use is it to worry about the insults or the reproach of mere man? Psalm 118 says, For the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And Isaiah brings this up again in verse 12, chapter 51, verse 12. Who are you that you fear mere mortals? Human beings who are but grass that you forget the Lord your maker. Who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth. You see, in your fear of man, you forget the Lord your maker. In your fear of man, you are forgetting the Lord your maker. Skip down to verse 14. And the cowering prisoners will soon be set free, and they will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place and who laid the foundations of the earth and who says to Zion, you are my people. You are my people. You see, this is really all about your identity. God is telling his people to listen up, to wake up to who they really are, to wake up to their eternal identity as a son or a daughter of the king, as an heir to the throne of heaven. And so God is saying to his people in these passages, who are you that you fear man? Because from my perspective, you are my son, you are my daughter. But the way that you're thinking right now, the way that you're acting, that fear of man that you have, it seems like you're, you're living more for temporal things rather than for my eternal kingdom. It seems like you care more about your temporal life rather than your eternal one. So this is what God is saying to his people. See, this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants to attack who you really are. Because he knows that if you are actually living out your life as an eternal son or an eternal daughter of the king, if you are living your life in the power that comes with living out your identity in Christ, then he knows that's a whole lot of problems for him. When you live in the power of your identity in Christ, Satan has no power. Amen? When you live in the eternal identity of your identity in Christ, in that power, Satan has no power. So if he can just implant that seed of fear or that speck of doubt, if he can take your eyes off of your true identity, off of your real mission, then he can steal your effectiveness for the kingdom. He can steal your confidence in your Savior. He can steal your joy and he can break you down and paralyze you from stepping forward in faith into the power of your identity in Christ. But if we would listen to the call of the Father, hear me. Don't listen to what everybody else is saying. Listen to me. If we would allow ourselves to be awakened to who we really are, to whose we are, then as I said before, Satan has no power when you are living in the power of your identity in Christ. And the fear and the oppression of man will no longer hold you back from everything that God has for you. As I said before, the, 
inspiration for this series was out of Isaiah 52, verse 1. And it says this, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. So what is this strength that we clothe ourselves with? Is it my strength, our own strength? Because my strength seems to lead to fear. Seems to lead to failure and worry because my strength is fallible. My strength is finite. My identity in Christ is my real strength. If I put on that strength, then it's no longer my strength, but God's strength. And that strength is infallible. That strength is infinite. If I clothe myself with that strength, then in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am not powerless, but I have access to infinite power. Not because of me or anything that I have done, but because I belong to the God who spoke and the worlds were formed. Because I'm the son of the God that calls out to the storm and it stills, who breathes and the mountains melt, who laid the foundations of the earth. I belong to that God. I belong to the God who reached down into space and time and he called out my name. And he called out your name and he said, you are mine. You are mine. And you have a new identity now. And I want you to live in that new identity. I, I know that you're broken. I know that you're going to screw up. But I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to guide you and to empower you to do things that no one can explain so I get the glory. That allow you to speak truth and awaken broken and fallen hearts. To break down strongholds. To shatter the darkness with my light and my truth. And to bring, bring people into a saving belief of my work on the cross. And I will give them a new identity. And I will put my Holy Spirit in them. And I will give them the power to live out their identity in Christ. Not paralyzed by fear or familiarity but empowered to go where I send them. To do what I have called them to do. To live in their identity in Christ. What has God called you to do, but you're paralyzed to step forward in faith? Wake up to your true identity your identity in Christ. Start stepping forward in faith and obedience into everything that God has for you. We're going to sing one more song. and we, we haven't done it before. It's a new song called So Will I. And if you want to sing, then sing, but, but maybe, maybe you just need to sit and let these lyrics permeate into your soul. See, this is ultimately a song about surrender. We sang that before I even came up on this stage. This is a song about surrender, surrendering to your identity in Christ. And, and the, the latter part of this song says, Jesus, if you left the grave behind, then so will I. Amen. If you left the grave behind, then so will I. I don't have to live in fear anymore because my Jesus is victorious and my home is in heaven. 
I can leave my old self in the grave because when you spoke, it is finished. All of my failure disappeared. And so I can rise and I can live in my new nature. I can live in my new identity. Not a life of sin, but a life surrendered to you, Jesus, to your character and to your nature. And so, Jesus, if you gave your life to love the world, then so will I. God, if you gave everything for the love of your people, then so will I. If you go out of your way to rescue the one who was wandering, then so will I. God, if through Christ you see me as redeemed, perfected, empowered by your spirit as a son or a daughter, as eternal, then so will I. Church, remember your true identity. Let's sing this song.